In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. These are priestly lines going all the way back. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's their LinkedIn profile right there. Pretty good. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Why did the women always get blamed? Right? Sure. (laughs) And both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. No need to get a different wife. She's going to have the son. And you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or a strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah... He's an old guy. How old was he? Well, if you read Leviticus, you were an intern priest from 25 to 30. You were a priest from 30 to 50. And then you trained other priests from 50 to 55, and then you retired. How old was old Zachariah? Probably 50 at the most. Man, I'm 47. I think there's a lot of tread left on this tire. I mean, I don't feel that old. I don't know, man. Like, throw him away. He's old. He's like 50. That ain't old. Come on. Old is always 15 years older than you are. That's what I've decided. So he is really, if you think about it, contextualizing to today, he's a small-town pastor. Right? He's been busy in his hometown, and every once in a while they get called up to a big meeting in Jerusalem for two weeks where they serve, and they go back and just pastor that small town. 
Been doing it for years. And he has no kids. And kids back in this time was everything. It was your social security check. It was God's blessing on you. It was kids were that. So I wonder if Zachariah was mad at God. Like, really, God, I've been serving you. I've been doing this. I've been for my life. I've dedicated it to you. And this is, this is my reward. I'm multivocational. I do pastoring. And I also do all this other stuff to make ends meet. They would feel cursed. Because Israel knew the very first command of God was this. Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. And kids were an example of God's blessing and his multiplication on you. Be fruitful and multiply. That's why I have five kids. Fruitful and multiply. And so they would feel this, like, what's wrong with me? So what happened at this time, there was a group of 18,000 priests across Israel. And they were divided up into groups. And every two weeks, a new group would come down to the temple. So his turn comes up. He heads down to the temple. And then of all the priests in his cohort one of them would be selected to go in, take some coals off the altar in front of the temple, carry them in to the holy place, to the very back of it, to this little altar of incense, put the coals in there all by himself, pour some very fine incense on it, and would burn, and the smoke would go up in Herod's temple. 90 feet tall, so you just watch it ascend. It was an honor. Some priests would never be chosen by law. So he gets this choice, never done it before. He's going in there, he's, he's carrying it out. He's heard about, hey, don't screw this up, man. Like it's deadly if you screw this up. So he gets in there, he's starting, and guess what, who appears? An angel, and he is afraid, right? He was greatly afraid. He's like, oh no, what mistake did I make? I am sorry, I won't do it again, I promise, right? He's freaking out. And the angel says, no, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a child. Now, it had been years since he'd prayed that prayer. But God can answer our prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and later. This one was later, right? He's a good dad. Good dad's answer is that way, right? If my kids say, hey, dad, can I have broccoli for dinner? Yes. Hey, Dad, would you read a book to me tonight? Later. Hey, Dad, can I drink a six-pack of Mountain Dew before I go to bed? No. Right? He's a good dad. He knows what we need, whether it's yes, no, or later. So Zachariah had been told later, and at some point, he just stopped praying. He'd given up. I'm too old. Elizabeth, my wife, has gone through menopause. This is absurd. What do you do when the promises of God are absurd? How do you respond to it? Maybe it's sin in your own life where you think this sin has owned me for a year, five years, 10 years. God's promise that I can be set free, it's absurd. It's not happening in my life. Maybe it's generational things. My dad was this way. His grandpa was that way. You know, it goes back. These promises are absurd. 
Maybe it's bad things that's happened to you. I thought good things was supposed to happen to me. I thought I was supposed to live the abundant life. And I keep going through difficulty and trial after trial. What's up with that? And then someone will come up to you when you're in difficulty and they will quote to you Romans 8, 28. Bro, all things work together for good. How do you feel when someone quotes that to you? Yeah, you usually want to slap them. Right? This is an absurd promise. He's old. That hasn't happened. Probably been married as teens, 15, 16 years old. If he's 50, let's say, that's 35 years of no kids. Absurd promise. How would you respond? Look how he does. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. She's really old. I'm old, but she is really old. <laughs> Dude, little tact, my friend. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he made signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his house. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Gabriel shows up. And the news Gabriel brought was supposed to bring joy. Good news. Hey, this is supposed to make you happy. But instead, he is filled with doubt. I don't think I believe you. How do I know if this is coming true? And when Gabriel responds, doesn't he sound a little mad? Are you kidding? Dude, I just appeared from nowhere in front of you. I stand before God's presence. Are you kidding? You're going to doubt this word? Oh, Nine-month time out for you, buddy. Sit and think about it. You ain't going to be able to talk. I wonder if that was God's command or Gabriel's decision right there. Like, how much freedom does that angel have? I wonder if Gabriel goes back up to heaven as in like the angel break room, eating some angel food cake, and is like, you would not believe what a human did to me today. Oh, dude, let me tell you this story. You know that happens up there. Swapping stories of humans. It's fascinating to me. Zachariah, who's involved in ministry, he's keeping the commands and the laws, verse 6 tell us. He's doing all kinds of religious activity, right? And yet he lacks faith. That to me is fascinating. How many people that are in ministry, involved in ministry, doing everything, on the outward it looks great, but their hearts are full of unbelief. Here's what I love. It does not stop God. Right? You're in a nine-month timeout. 
But, he says, verse 20, these things will be fulfilled in their time. You will not stop God's plan. Even your doubt, Zechariah, will not stop God's plan. That's so encouraging for me. Because sometimes I can feel like I'm just going through the motions and there's not a lot of faith in me and I have to always come back to trusting God. God's plan will be accomplished. <sighs> Pressure off me. So, next absurd promise. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, he's back, round two, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of green this might be. Isn't that such a great thing? Like, why are you here again? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. <laughs> She's like, I took a class in the seventh grade. And, um, you know, it, it, this doesn't make sense to me. Because you know, I've got some information on how babies, where they come from. And I don't understand what you're telling me, right? And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, Elizabeth cannot be mentioned apart from she's really old, right? Every time, poor lady. <laughs> she's like, come on, give me a break. Has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Second absurd promise. Mary, estimates are she's 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. Because back in this time, you married young. You were a child, and then you got married. There was no adolescent period then. It was, you're a child, get married, and start a job. Now, adolescents last like 15 to 20 more years, right? We're very different. 
So she's in that, whatever, 13, 14, 15 years old. Would you trust a 15-year-old to raise God? Like, it's insane. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a 14-year-old right now. I, I'm not trusting her to raise anything, let alone Jesus, right? You're like, ha, ah, this is, God, what, are you sure? It's absurd on so many levels, right? The immaculate conception. I mean, really? Mary, who's going to believe her? There was a law that said you could be stoned for this. This is a small town. People would talk, right? People talk in small towns. They'd be like, wait a second, you got married in September? And your baby was born December 25th? Mm, I just, I'm not buying that right there. Was he a preemie or what? Was he a super preemie? Right? Hard. Couple things to note. Number one, verse 35, the explanation of this. When Mary's like, I, I took a class and this doesn't make sense. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There is one other place in scripture that sounds like this. It's Genesis 1 verse 2, where the spirit hovers over creation. And out of that, there is new creation. Genesis 2, God forms dirt. What are we? We're living manure, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We will one day go back into the earth, right? God forms the dirt, and then what does he do? Ruachs into it. Breathes. It's the same word, ruach, which can be translated breath, wind, spirit. It is a recreation. This is a new, it's why Jesus is called the second Adam. It's not like other, that's why he will be called holy. He will not have the same Genesis 3 issues because he is a new creation a different kind of creation, a spirit creation. There's mystery in Christianity, you know that? If you want things to be 100% clear in Christianity, forget it. But God will give you enough to believe, but never too much to take away faith. Because what he wants is a group of people that ultimately say, okay, I trust you. I may not understand everything. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but you've given me enough to trust. You've given me enough to walk by faith. The second thing to notice on this is how positive the angel is. Right? It's all good stuff. He's going to be of the line of David. He's going to be king forever. It's going to be awesome. What doesn't Gabriel tell Mary? The moment he's born, this dude named Herod the Great, or I call him Herod the Not-So-Great, is going to try to murder him. He's going to slaughter babies. For Jesus' entire life, he is going to be dogged by satanic attacks. And eventually, he'll be crushed by it and crucified and killed and betrayed and abandoned. She's not told that side, is she? It's all pretty positive here. It's almost like Jeremiah. 
By Jeremiah 20, if you read that chapter, he goes, God, you lied to me. This ministry thing, I wouldn't have signed up for this if you'd have told me the whole story because this is not what I signed up for. You didn't tell me the other side. I think about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, even Abraham, who it says there, God called Abraham out of his land and God says, hey, go to the promised land. And Abraham's like, where is it at? I'll let you know when you get there. Really? I mean, you're not gonna let me know? Because God wants people of faith. And here's here's something that I, I think everyone needs to know about this life. Because we're in an age now where it's all about personal fulfillment and personal happiness and God's purpose for my life and all that kind of stuff. And there's truth to that. But here's the key truth. There is one star. There is one hero. And it's Jesus. Every other person plays a supporting role. Mary, as important as you are, you play a supporting role. And you will get the information that you need. And that's it. And if we drive towards, God, you better fulfill me. You better make everything plain to me. You better make it. You will be sorely disappointed. But if instead you say like Mary said, I am your servant. I am a support cast. Let it be done to me according to your word. You will live a life of fulfillment and purpose. But if your point is fulfillment and purpose, you will always miss it. Because the point is Jesus. He's the hero. God, I'm here to serve your, I'm here to make your play beautiful. I'm here to partner with you and your work. Oh, it's beautiful then. I think that's why, right? So here's what Mary does. She says, okay, I accept what you say, but look what else she does to this absurd promise. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste, it's 100 miles, went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. One side note real quick. There is a debate on abortion. Been here as long as I've been alive. Here you have John the Baptist in the womb. Verse 15 tells us that in the womb he was filled with God's spirit. He's so aware in the womb that when Mary comes with Jesus in her womb, he does a backflip, right? Elizabeth must have been saying, oh no, I'm too old to have a hyperactive kid. What is this thing in me? Great, me chasing him around. He was self-aware. 
I remember when we were pregnant for the first time. I say we very generously, because, but Carissa's in the womb, and I don't know what she was, six, seven months old. I would poke my wife's belly, and she would punch in that spot. Like it would poke here, poke here, poke, just boing, boing, boing. It explains her personality perfectly. You push her, she's punching you. I'm like, okay, well, she was doing it in the womb, right? There was some kind of self-awareness, like, whoa. John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit, does a backflip when Jesus comes in Mary's womb. Why? Was he a fetus or a baby? I think he's a baby. It's funny, these terms now. Like, who says fetus? Hey, congratulations. You having a fetus? Hey, have you picked out a, new, a name for your fetus yet? Hey, do you know the sex of your fetus? Is it a boy fetus or a girl fetus? Right? We don't, it's, like, it, it's like trying to almost harden us against what is actually happening inside a mom's womb. We'll hit on this a little bit later, okay? So, Mary said, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her She stays there until John the Baptist is born and helps Elizabeth out. What a good, good niece she is. Mary, I'm your servant. This is an absurd promise. I'm your servant. Be it done to me according to your word. But then what does she do? I'm going to verify what you said. I'm going to go down to Elizabeth's house. I'm going to ask her, you pregnant? Because you've been barren for like 35 years. I am. Aha. To me, that's what we do with absurd promises. Okay, Lord, I take you at your word. I take what you say, and then you verify. And what is brilliant about Luke right here is what I love is this, is you see an old lady who was barren, who had shame, who was cursed, who was forgotten. God says, I'm grabbing you. And a young lady, poor, nowhereville, I'm grabbing you. The invasion of God's kingdom comes in the last place you would expect it. An old forgotten lady and a young nobody. I think that's what God loves to do. The last place you expect it. And so her final statement, verse 55, is this. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring 
forever. God, you keep your promises. This goes all the way back to you saying to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, hey, you're gonna have kids and your seed is gonna bring a blessing to all the nations, the promised seed of Abraham. She goes all the way back. I love that. And now I know that this is coming to pass because I checked it out. You believe and you verify God's promises. And one thing, note on this, you could stay on this forever. I cannot. But notice how humility comes in. Verse 51, he has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. There's a commercial that used to say this. Stay thirsty, my friends. I have a better saying. Stay humble, my friends. Peter puts it like this. God resists the proud and gives grace to the, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will lift you up. Mary's like, I'm a nobody. Are you kidding me? I think it's her humility that God says, I can use you now. I can use you because you're humble. Stay humble, my friends. So verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by his name. This is like a funny scene to me. Like the neighbors are over, and everyone's over, and they're naming the child for them. Like how crazy is that? How would you like your neighbors to name your kid? Bartholomew is his name. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We've decided. We've taken a consensus. We voted on it. Bartholomew it is. Like, ah, right? It's so funny. And they made signs like, we don't trust you, Elizabeth. You're old, remember? We can't trust you. So let's, let's talk to the dad. They made signs to John inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked them for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. They all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this be, this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit And he was in the wilderness, (laughs) give you a little hint about John the Baptist, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I love this. The first time we meet Zechariah, does he come across looking very good? Mm -mm. So what does God do? Gives him a second chance. And his second chance... Man, it's awesome. He gets full of the Holy Spirit and he gets what's called the Benedictus. And it's brilliant. And I love that it says it said this over and over in this text. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now for some of us in here, maybe because of church history, when we hear about being filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, we go through PTSD. We're like, oh no, right? Things are going to get weird. It just freaks us out. We're expecting some guy who buys his anointing oil from Costco to come running up and slap us on the forehead and start praying to us until we pass out, right? That's some of our history. Or people that make up things like, God's spirit told me that this is what I'm supposed to say to you. And you're like, no, I don't think so. And God's spirit's like, no, I did not tell him that. Do not blame that on me. That is that dude alone, right? So there's all this kind of like, hmm. That's where we need the Bible. So if you read the first time God's spirit shows up, guess where it is? I already mentioned it. Genesis 1 verse 2. The chaotic waters, it's called, right? There's just chaos. And God's spirit hovers over the chaotic water, and out of chaos, you have chapter one, order, 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 order. When God's spirit hovers over someone, what you'll have is order, not disorder. If it's disorder, man, that's a human. Humans make disorder because that's Genesis three. We take God's good creation, his beauty and his order, and we destroy it. God's spirit will always bring order. And then when you read this, he's full of God's spirit and he begins the prophecy. If you read this little prophecy over and over, what you find is this, it is drenched in scripture. Like it's, if you took the Old Testament and you condensed it, if you left it on the stove overnight and you boiled it down, what would remain would be this right here. Like it's just condensed Scripture. It's brilliant, right? So just verse 68. 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That is a direct reference to Psalms, but even more than that, to the Exodus, when people were in trouble and they began to cry out and God heard their cries and visited them and redeemed them out of Pharaoh, that brutal tyrant who was destroying them. Then verse 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. This is Psalm 132. This is Ezekiel 29 that talks about God raising up a horn of salvation out of the house of David. This is the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Each verse, I could go through each verse and say, look at all these things that when God's spirit moves on Zechariah, that he's just grabbing all these texts from the Old Testament and what God's spirit is doing is he's ordering them into this incredible poem that's condensed scripture because that's how God's spirit moves. That's what he does. When you're full of God's spirit, speaking prophetically, it'll be ordered and it'll be saturated in scripture. That's how you know good prophetic movings of God's spirit. Not disordered, not chaotic, not, hey, I, I told you, you know, whatever, whatever people do that's crazy, it's always this way. This is good, solid, prophetic moving of God's spirit. And then one other point on this. It says, verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him with fear. All the neighbors that were listening into this and tuning in, when they heard enemy, who would they think of? Who is the enemy that was right now ruling over Israel? Rome, right? So they would hear this like, yes, we're gonna throw off the Roman empire finally. We'll be set free from Rome. Is that what Jesus did? No, because who's the actual enemy? It's the Genesis 3 snake that wrapped around the human heart when we rebelled against God and said, we'll choose the desert alone over paradise with you. And these fangs have put poison into every human heart and started to shape us as selfish, bitter, angry, vengeful people. That's the enemy. That's the enemy that Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 65. One day that enemy will eat dirt. That's the enemy that Paul says in Romans 8 verse, Romans 16 verse 20. He says, the God of peace shall crush Satan under the church. That's the enemy that Ephesians 6, 12 says, that's the dude, that's the bad dude. That's the one that Colossians 2, 15 says, Jesus has put him to an open shame. That's the ultimate enemy. And you and I, as believers in Jesus, we're no longer in his kingdom. Read Colossians 1 and 2. It says, you were in the kingdom of darkness, but now you have been transferred into the kingdom of light. So don't go back. We're children now of the light, and we don't have to go back. We're set free. So this is just a brilliant chapter. We could take a lot more time on it. I want to make one final note, and it's this. It's this whole thing about John the Baptist in the womb, all that stuff. So America has been shaped by this idea. It goes way back, but it was 1973, Roe versus Wade, where they said this. 
They said that a baby is a human, but a baby is not a, does anybody know? A person. They split it. They made a dichotomy. It actually goes way back behind that, but they made that decision there. A baby's a human, but not a person, so you don't have to protect them. So that is shaped. That's been my whole life. I was born in 1972. So I've been shaped by that whole idea. Person. Uh, human, not person. So John the Baptist is given a name. Why? Before he's born, why is he given that name? Because the Bible would say he's actually a person. He's actually a person. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Why? Because he's a person. That's why. He was saved in the womb, I believe. Someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit is saved. He's saved in the womb. When Jesus comes, he does a backflip in worship of Jesus. He's a worshiper of Jesus. Why? Because John the Baptist in the womb is a person. I read this fascinating article. It's in the Telegraph. You can get it if you want. April 26, 2016. And it said this. They were, they were doing this, this way of looking at when a, an egg is fertilized by sperm. And what they found that blew these researchers away was this. In the moment that the egg is fertilized, there's this brilliant flash of light. Have you read that? It's insane. Like it's, there's fireworks that go off. It's a cosmic firework because God says, that's a person and I'm throwing a party. That's a person at conception. The mark of Christianity for 2,000 years has been for the defense of life. Old, like Elizabeth, or young, like John the Baptist. 2,000 years of it. If you go back to Rome, 50 AD, 40 AD, 30 AD. If you had a baby that you did not want, guess what you would do? You would discard it by the side of the road for the animals to devour. And no one thought anything of it. There's a letter we have from a Roman businessman back to his wife. She knew, he knew she was pregnant. He's just writing, hey, everything's great up here, man. Beautiful view, I'm making lots of money. Oh, by the way, if when the child is born, if it's a girl, discard it. Sign your loving husband. Just nonchalantly. Like, yeah, oh, by the way, oh, BTW. Kill the baby if it's a girl. And the vast majority of aborted babies were girls. Because you need a boy to work the farm. So that was, you know, that was the water that culture swam in until Christians came. And they found this reprehensible, you know why? Because of stories like John the Baptist. Because of Genesis 1.27 that says every life has dignity and value and worth. And so they would go along the streets every night and they would pick up the babies that were being discarded and they would take them into their homes and care for them. And out of that came what we would call orphanages today. It was born out of that. Well, there's all these babies that nobody wants. What do we do? Well, let's build a big house and put all these babies in them. Let's care for the young and the old alike that all life matters and we will care for those lives, period. That's been the mark of Christianity based on shaped by stories like this. And we are to continue that. We defend life. That there's no such thing as you're a human but not a person. And by the way, if you know slavery, Dred Scott decision, guess what they said? 
Slaves are a human, but they're not a person. It's so fascinating to me. I'm like, we're doing it again? Oh my goodness, every life has value. That is what Christianity has always stood for. We stand for life. So Jesus, thank you for how scripture shapes and reshapes culture. May we be those that are shaped by your love of life, that you throw a 4th of July fireworks show when a child is conceived. May we do the same thing. May we fight for life, young, old, handicapped, not handicapped. It does not matter. It's life, and life is a gift from you. May we fight for that. Thank you for Luke. May Luke get into us, we pray. May your word become flesh and dwell in us. And I pray this in your name. Amen.